Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Caitlin McPhee. In September 2020, Caitlin became an associate at a top international law firm and is currently on secondment to the Association of Mental Health Providers as the project lead for the new Mental Health Sustainability Programme. Whilst a trainee, Caitlin was also seconded to an oil and gas major. In March of this year, Caitlin founded her own platform, Law Life Balance, to provide information and guidance on how to balance life with a career in the law. In addition to all of this, Caitlin is also a certified mental health first aider. So, welcome, Caitlin. Thank you so much, Rob. It's a pleasure to be here. So before we go through all your amazing achievements and everything you've achieved to date, we have our customary icebreaker question here on the show. On the scale of 1 to 10, 10 being very real, how real would you rate the reality series Suits? Oh, that's a good question. I'm going to go with probably around about a 4. I think there are certain elements of it which look like they might be the same. But then when you really dive into the nitty gritty of it, you realize that it's absolutely nothing like the real world. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're talking somewhat some experience there. So we'll move swiftly on. So let's start at the beginning. Tell our listeners a little bit about your family background and upbringing. Yeah, thanks, Rob. So I grew up in South London uh, with my mum and my brother, really small family. And I went to a local primary school and was very happy there. When I was 11, I went to a military boarding school, actually, in Ipswich, which I hated from the minute that I arrived. And I hated it all (laughs) the way through until the day that I ran away when I was 15 and decided that it wasn't for me anymore. And I suppose, actually, that was the point at which I started to experience poor mental health myself. You know, boarding school was tough for me. Mm. I was really bullied there. I just found it a really difficult experience. I'd grown up really, really close to my mum and brother and being separated from them at that young age just wasn't something I could really handle. And I just didn't have that level of personal resilience and personal respect to be able to stand up for myself and, you know, fight, fight back against the people that weren't being very nice to me at the time. And so at that age, unfortunately, I ended up experiencing really quite severe depression. And I also had an eating disorder, which I ended up being hospitalized for. So my, my late teenage years were really spent kind of dealing with the consequences of that. I moved to a Mm. local state sixth form. I think I had about 48% attendance during my A-level years because I was not only kind of still having appointments to deal with the consequences of my eating disorder, but also my immune system was shot to pieces from it. So I was just always sick. I had acute tonsillitis all the time. So for me, kind of trying to balance that with my studies was tough, but I did manage to do Mm. it, thankfully. Went to university, read French, uh, because I was advised by a very wise friend of my mum's, if I wanted to be a lawyer, to go to university and study something that I actually enjoyed, law being a boring subject at university, (laughs) according to this friend. Um, and then to convert later, mm-hmm. which is exactly what I did. There we go. And thank you so much for sharing that 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 journey and being so so open a, a about it. Because I know it's only going to help others. So you mentioned there sort of French, and then I want to learn more about the journey. So di- where did the sort of inspiration for wanting to become a lawyer come from? Mm, yeah, I think 
It's a funny one, isn't it? You know, often you ask kids what they want to be when they're grown up and they don't know. And I remember yeah. my mum asking my brother, I think it might have come from this actually, what he wanted to be when he was older. And he said he wanted to be a banister. And we all kind of laughed and thought, <laughs> a banister? What on earth are you going to do with that? And what he meant was a barrister because one of his friend's parents yeah. was a barrister. And having found out what a barrister was, i.e. a lawyer, I decided, you know, I was also going to be a lawyer because my little brother couldn't possibly do something better than me. Poor him. You can see yeah. where this goes in our family dynamic. And then I suppose I always had it in the back of my mind as something I'd like to do, but I didn't really know why. And when I finished my degree and graduated, you know, having read French, unfortunately, my final year of my exams was also very difficult because my grandmother who lived with us passed away just before my finals um, in a kind mm. of sudden fall. It was unexpected and it just threw me for a loop. So having got through my finals, I just didn't feel like I had it in me at that point to, you know, try and get a training contract, do the GDL. I think I made two very, very half-assed applications to training contracts um, <laughs> and didn't get either of them, surprisingly. And so decided to not do that for a while. So I then actually had two years where I didn't do law, didn't think about law. I decided to do other things. So I got different work experience. I worked at Marks and Spencer, did their graduate scheme, worked at a recruitment company for a while, just getting lots of different bits of experience. And I think, you know, after a year and a half or so, I'd finally recovered from you know, all of the exams that yeah. I'd had to do in the midst of that difficult time and thought I was ready for the challenge again. And I'd also found that the mm. graduate management scheme I was on, whilst it was, you know, it was great. It was good work experience. And I'm almost certain that that is what got me my training contract. It wasn't challenging in the way that I needed it to be. You know, I wasn't using my brain enough. Yeah. I didn't feel like I was learning or growing. And I felt really ready to kind of get my teeth back into something that made me think more. So it felt like a natural time to think about law again. And th this is what I meant when I said earlier, I think that got me the training contract because it was actually like, thankfully very easy to get a training contract. I made two applications again to two magic circle firms. I got one. That was it. Like it, it was quite straightforward. But I think that was because I had the benefit of, you know, that client side commercial awareness. I'd worked at the operational day-to-day -day level of a business for a year. I'd done lots of different things. Yeah. It was easy for me to talk about it. I also had the benefit of just being a bit older and having a little bit more life experience, which I think made me put a bit less pressure on getting that job because I, I knew one would come. Um, so yeah, that mm -hmm. was 2016 that I started the GDL, went and did the LPC, took a nice little six month break in between to go traveling around the world, which was great. So glad I did that. And then started nice. my training contract in September, 2018. And so just talk us through that training contract experience and then a bit about what the, the present looks like in terms of the, the current role and what that encompasses. Mm, sure. So my training contract was difficult in many ways and also less difficult than I expected it to be in lots of ways. As I mentioned earlier, you know, I have somebody who has struggled with my mental health before and that manifested mm -hmm. more as anxiety in my later or like early twenties years, which is when I was doing my training contract. And unfortunately, you know, the pressure that I was putting on myself a lot of the time, but also that working environment at a top law firm does put on you 
meant that as appraisal time was approaching in my first seat, you know, towards the end of it, I just couldn't really cope with it. I wasn't getting enough sleep. I was working long hours. Everything Mm -hmm. was busy. I didn't feel like I could drop any balls. I didn't feel like I could take a break and it mounted up and up and up. And all of that culminated in me having a panic attack in the office, which was really embarrassing. Um, And in a way that was the best thing that ever happened to me because what that meant was I was able to take that time out that I needed. I was able to kind of recover, come back and be having those open conversations with my team. And I'm really glad that happened early on because what it meant was the rest of my training contract was not not that hard. You know, yes, it was busy at times. Yes, there was still the pressure, but I was able to prioritize my own health because I'd experienced what it was like when I didn't, and I didn't want to go back there. So whilst I was fully committed to the job and I obviously really wanted to do well because we're all super high achievers and I am a perfectionist, I was at least able to say, you know, sometimes this is too much and I need a break today or, you know, this, this piece of work isn't possible for me to do in this time frame. Can we work out a way to do that in a more sustainable way? So I developed really nice relationships with my teams. I think also because I was very open about how I was feeling, which encouraged them to be more open about how they were feeling too. Um, and I really enjoyed the rest of my training contract. It was a great experience. I went on clients to comment. I had a really, really good time there. Loved seeing how things worked from the client's perspective, learned a lot about what clients actually want from private practice firms. Um, I then did a virtual secondment to the Paris office during COVID, which was not as fun <laughs> as I'd wanted it to be and had a few fewer <laughs> pastries than I had expected and would have liked, but never mind. Um, so yeah, then I qualified in September last year and qualification again, was tricky. It was in the middle of a pandemic. Numbers were much lower than they normally would be. And despite the fact that I'd done really, really well in the seats that I enjoyed and wanted to qualify in, it just didn't work out for me to join one of those teams. Instead, what happened was there was an opportunity to go on a secondment to a charity, um, which is a mental health charity. And given I had obviously a very keen interest in mental health. And I'd done quite a lot of work around young lawyers, mental health and well-being um, whilst doing my training contract. It felt like a really natural fit. So I've been mm. on comment there since September and that's a comment ends in September. And it's been amazing. It's been, again, it's opened my eyes to a whole sector of society that I knew nothing about. And I've learned loads and had a very different work life. You know, the charity sector and the private practice law sector, they're quite different. What that's meant is I am extremely grateful for this. It's given me a little bit more time to take stock and evaluate what's really important to me and what I want to do with my life. And that has led me to setting up my own company, which I launched the first ideas of back around sort of March, April-ish time. And I'm in the process right now of kind of building it and growing it with a view to hopefully that becoming something that I can do more permanently. And the company is called Law Life Balance. Trick is in the name. It really does what (laughs) it says on the tin. It's really my effort at solving the problems that I witnessed and experienced 
during my training contract and whilst observing what was going on for my peers and my colleagues around me. Um, it comes off the back of some really important studies that have been done lately showing that lawyers are the second most stressed professionals in the country. Globally, we score much lower on the World Health um, Organization Wellbeing Index. Unfortunately, we realized earlier this year that around one in 10 lawyers under 30 experience thoughts of suicide, which is just not something that I can stand by and watch. And so my business is really all about trying to make the legal industry a place where lawyers can have a sustainably successful career, putting their mental health and well-being at the forefront of their priority list. And that's where I am today. And I think it's so, so needed, um, particularly off the back of the, the pandemic. And, you know, from all of us on the Libby Speaking podcast, we, we just think it's so valuable. How can people who might be listening to this, this is really resonating with them, kind of get in touch or learn more or how, how does it work in, you know, you're obviously going to be talking to people listening to this that probably are maybe in need of, of this. Just talk us through the mechanics of it all. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, there are a few ways that you can get in touch with me and I have a presence across a few different platforms. My most important one is my website. And so you can kind of go there and see everything that I do. And that is www.law-lifebalance.co.uk. And as you'll see in the website, another thing that I have uh, is the same as what we're doing right now. I have my own podcast, the Law Life Balance podcast. And that podcast is really all about me interviewing and actually I say interrogating thought leaders in the legal and mental well-being spaces around what are the problems that we're facing in the legal industry and how can we maybe go about solving those. So it's very obviously biased of me to say, but I think there's some fantastic conversations. Some of the guests are incredible. I've learned so much from those conversations. So yeah, that's one thing that I would say if you're listening to this and you have an interest in podcasts, that's maybe something that you would like to listen to. Um, my website will tell you everything else you need to know, or you can follow me on Instagram at caitlin.mcphee, where I, I tend to try and make that a little bit more personal and a bit more about like my life and what goes on behind Law Life Balance. But yeah, that's also something that you can check out if you're interested. And yeah, absolutely. And thanks so much for sharing that. And you're on a journey with Law Life Balance and you touched on it there and you've got some inspirational guests and some amazing thought leaders coming on, which I'm super excited about and to listen into. What's the plan in 12 months, five years? Where where would you like Law of Life Balance to be and, and sort of what's the mission, the overarching mission? Yeah. So really my blue sky scenario would be that Law Life Balance becomes one of the most important consultancies when it comes to well-being in the legal industry. Um, what I really want to do is work yeah. with law firms to solve the problems that they have, to work on their well-being strategy, to work with their people, to understand what are the pressure points and how can we solve them? You know, so guiding them through big organizational change processes. I also am beginning to look at working really closely with legal tech companies who have really innovative solutions to some of these problems and working with them more as a kind of strategic advisor to help them to build the real solutions to these problems and, and kind of problem solve collectively. One of the things that I have as a bit of a mantra is that when it comes to mental wellbeing in the legal industry, it's about collaboration, not competition. So my podcast is about looking at all of the people who are already out there doing amazing work and spreading their message. And then I'll build partnerships where that works um, and where that might have a massive value add to the legal community with those individuals. 
So I'm really hoping that I can have a massive and very big impact on not just, you know, law firms, but on every lawyer, every lawyer globally, really, I would love, but, you know, beginning in this country, um, something else that I'm doing for my own interest. And also because I think that it will really help is I'm currently studying to become a practitioner in neuro-linguistic programming, which is something that I think works really well with lawyers because we work with language. We like to use language and mold language really in a very detailed way in order to have the exact message that we want it to have. And what we sometimes fail to recognize is that the way that we ourselves use language can have a huge impact on how we end up feeling. And the English language has far more negative words than it does positive, is one interesting fact that I learned when I started this journey. And so I'm really hoping that I can use that training and those skills to work with people one-on-one if they're having difficult times themselves. Um, trying to figure out what their priorities are or figure out how to manage their well-being better, but also with organizations, you know, how can you change, how can you make your policies a bit more accessible? Um, how how do we change? What happens in our brains when that when we do that? So that's another project that I'm kind of embarking on at the moment and I'm really excited to get stuck into. Yeah, it sounds fascinating. And you certainly don't sit still. I don't know how you fit it all in. I guess moving back to law firms and and change, do you think firms in the future will need to embrace changes, for instance, with long working hours, or do individuals themselves need to make sure that change happens? It's a really big question. Um, It doesn't have an easy answer. Mm. For me, the answer is both. And the two are inextricably linked. I don't think you can have one without the other. So I always say that in order for something as big as this to become solved, you know, in order for us to solve the problem of lawyer stress and high levels of burnout, for example, we need to be looking at what does the organization need to do? And then what does the individual need to do? Now, if an organization just decides to change their policies you know, and implement something at the top level and say, right, there you go. That's our effort for sol- to solving this problem. That's not going to have any impact whatsoever if the individuals themselves aren't empowered to make change. Mm-hmm. Individuals become empowered to make change when two things happen. Number one, permission is given for them to do that. Number two, they have the tools in their toolbox to do that. And for me, that all comes down to mindset. So we can become yeah. much more proactive. We can become more positive. We can become more resilient. We can find better ways of dealing with things. We can change our perspective. All of that stems from mindset. And there are various ways of improving your mindset, but ultimately you can have the best mindset in the world. But if you work for an organization that doesn't empower you to ever make those changes for yourself and do what's right for you, because ultimately we're all different and everybody's going to need something slightly different from the next person. Unfortunately, nothing about that situation is going to facilitate your changing. So it's definitely a two-pronged approach. And again, this comes back to that point I said earlier about collaboration. You know, this is about working together. This is about firms realizing that they do better when their people are happier and well, and about people realizing that when they are more proactive and when they are managing themselves better, their firms do better and therefore their firms are more open to them continuing to do what they've been doing. So it's really a collaborative effort. And I don't think it's something that we can approach in a, in a linear or one-sided way. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's definitely a, a win-win scenario we want to get to. 
You mentioned two words that stick out to me, um, which are so important, mindset and resilience. So maybe people who aren't in the right mindset at the moment because of the pandemic might be feeling overwhelmed, social media pressure. Is there anything you would say or any top tips for helping people, you know, change that mindset? And resilience, again, is, you know, something we need in any industry. I don't think we should sugarcoat things. You need to be resilient in anything you do, but anything maybe to help people build back up resilience that might have been sort of um, damaged a little bit over the recent recent times we've been living through? Mm. I suppose the best way for me to answer that question is to just speak from my own experience. So I used to be somebody who catastrophized constantly, you know, and if something bad happened, the world was against me, everything was falling to pieces, you know, it was always going to be this way. Um, and you know, that stemmed a lot from my own mental ill health, but also just my mindset. That was the view that I had of the world, you know, things were happening to me and it was all out of my control. The way that I have built myself up to being a more resilient person and to having a, a more positive mindset is well, I mean, there are, there are very many things that you can do. One thing which is so important for me is meditation. That can be, you know, couched in many different terms, mindfulness, meditation, whatever that means to you. For me, it's about getting to a place where I can sit with whatever is going on around me and I can detach myself from that. So I can become the unconscious observer of everything that is happening. Everything that I think, mm. that is just a thought. It's not me. I can observe the thought. I don't have to be the thought. The thought doesn't have to have an impact on me. The same with feelings, the same with any any sensations that you have, sounds that you hear. For me, that's an incredible tool when I'm feeling stressed to be able to take a step back from myself, literally. Take a step back and witness what is going on and don't respond or react to what is going on. It's all about this concept of non-reactivity. That's been one of the most useful things that I've done for myself. Um, But I understand that that's something that some people find really inaccessible. And I also think that it's something that sometimes gets caught up in, you know, spirituality and woo-woo things that people don't really understand. And therefore, I think that it's important to spell out that It can be as simple as just noticing the fact that you are breathing for five breaths or listening to the kettle boil as it boils. It's paying focused attention to something. And as I said, what that does is it just slows everything else down around you and calms you down. So that's one thing that I've done just from a nervous system perspective to get calm. When it comes to my mindset and the way that I think about things, one thing that I always say to people around me and that I use for myself is things don't happen to you. They happen for you. And if you can start Mm. to see things that way, suddenly your world opens up. So suddenly the fact that I missed the bus this morning, you know, that didn't happen to me. That's not a catastrophic thing. Firstly, well, there's nothing I could have done about it. Secondly, what that did me missing the bus was enable me to listen to a podcast that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to listen to on the way to wherever I was going. And I learned something really valuable and I'm therefore super grateful that I missed the bus. So you can start to change these things, which seem really negative into positive experiences. Everything that happens to you in life teaches you something. If you take the lesson, you know, if you're open to the lesson, the worst thing in the world can be a lesson. Humans are incredibly adaptable and extremely resilient. There are studies that show that, you know, a person who loses a limb in a horrific accident 
is no less happy after that event than they were before. We are so adaptable. And it's really important to remember that in moments where you're struggling or things feel overwhelming, all of these moments will pass. Think back to the last time that you felt incredibly distressed. You don't feel that way anymore. You know, that's life. Time moves on. And so if you can start to see everything that happens as something very useful, something that can teach you something and be curious about it, you know, why is this thing happening? What is this trying to teach me? All of a sudden life becomes much more interesting and much more bearable and then much more enjoyable. Yeah, really good insights. Thank you so much for sharing that, Caitlin. I think, you know, just the the sort of taking a, a negative and flipping it to a positive and just changing that whole perspective, super important. I think you touch on time. Time is a wonderful healer. And, mm-hmm. you know, they always, you know, people say to me, well, is it going to affect you? Whatever's happening now in five years? Probably not. Then, you know, it's probably not worth the attention that you're, you're, you're dwelling on it right now. So yeah, some really valuable points. Thanks so much for sharing that. So moving on, I also believe you have an upcoming ebook, which is about navigating life as a trainee lawyer. So can you tell us more about this? Yeah, it's actually less about life as a trainee lawyer, and it's more about managing your mental health as an aspiring lawyer through the application and interview process. And that book will be for sale on my website. Um, I'm also hopefully soon entering into an exciting partnership opportunity where I'll be sharing a lot of the insights from that book with an audience. I can't share that right now, but it will be shared at some point soon. And that book really was me just wanting to share everything that I learned and everything that I experienced that I would have liked to know before I started the application process. Um, And I suppose that's my tribute to the aspiring lawyer community. There are so many, so many incredible people currently working really hard to help aspiring lawyers get their training contracts, providing the commercial awareness assistance. And I don't feel that that's the market that I necessarily need to be in. But I also know that I have something valuable to contribute to that market. And that is my contribution, is that ebook. And I suppose that's something that comes out of me having been approached a lot during my training contract by current students or aspiring lawyers asking for advice on all of the things that I provide advice on in the book. So that's the book. Yeah. And I'd strongly encourage people to check it out. Okay. You touch a lot about um, collaboration and, and giving back So and, and, and others. So do you think those in the industry can do more to empower trainees and aspiring solicitors to start their career off on the, on the right foot? Yes, is the simple answer. <laughs> um, one thing that I think is sorely lacking in the legal industry is specific management training around well-being. So what tends to happen in the legal industry is that you qualify as a lawyer and if you're a good lawyer, you know, you do a few years of work and then you become a managing associate or whatever the equivalent term is at other firms, which means that you get to manage a trainee. And whilst you may have some very light touch training on people management skills, Generally speaking, you've been able to do that because you're a good lawyer, not because you're necessarily a good manager. Um, And we know from the International Bar Association study that management is lacking. You know, I think it's something, the figure is something like, um, don't quote me on it, I think 54% of managers receive absolutely no training whatsoever 
in mental well-being policy, despite being involved in the implementation of it as managers. And for me, that is just a gap that we have to fill. Like, how can it be that you are responsible for the welfare of an individual sitting in your office working closely with you? And yet you have no idea how to spot the warning signs of stress or well-being um, decline. And that's something that I learned on my mental health first aid training is how to spot these signs and issues when they start to arise. And if you catch them early, I mean, all it takes is a question. And the question is, how are you? And then when the person says, oh, I'm fine, it's, are you sure? How are you really? That's all you have to do to then understand that maybe there's something going on here for this person. So yes, there a lot more can be done. More training can be provided. But on the other side of that, I think it's also training, but it's training for the aspiring and the junior lawyers themselves. It's training to equip them with these skills, you know, so that they can start off their careers as resilient, positive individuals who know how to manage their own well-being, know how to set good boundaries, know how to communicate well and have difficult conversations. None of those things are skills which you're taught in your legal training. And yet I would say they're as important, if not more important than the stuff that you learn, which pertains to the black letter law. I think we need both of those things. And there are some incredible things out there already. And the O-shaped lawyer movement is one of these incredible movements trying to make lawyers more well-rounded individuals and influence the training that we receive. But I, I definitely think that that's a gap that needs to be plugged for sure. Yeah. And maybe for those less familiar with the, the O-shaped lawyer versus the T-shaped lawyer, could you just maybe tell a little bit more about that? Yes. I mean, I'm not involved with it, so I'm probably not the best person to explain it in detail. But from what I know about it, essentially it's a movement which which is looking to achieve everything that I just said, that lawyers need to be yeah. you know, O-shaped. They need to be rounded. They need to have all of the skills that it takes, not just to be an effective lawyer, but to be an effective human being in a workplace and outside of a workplace, because ultimately our life outside of work has a huge impact on our life at work, as we all know, especially now that we're currently working from home, most of us. So, you know, this movement um, and Dan Kane, who started it, is speaks incredibly on this t- subject. So if you haven't had him on the podcast, you should. And if you have, great. Uh, people should listen to that. But yeah, essentially, I think it's an incredible movement. We need more people to sign up to it and get involved with it. Um, and I know that that movement is trying to impact the way that the regulator trains aspiring um, and developing lawyers. So I hope that that is something which is going to change and get a lot better in the next few years. And I think the SQE is a really good opportunity to do things a bit differently. There's a lot more scope for flexibility within that training. And I hope that these more, I hate calling them soft skills because they're not, they're really hard skills are (laughs) taught. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you, you articulated that so, so well. And I'm a big advocate for the, the O-shaped lawyer and very much needed as part of this whole change for good. Okay. So I just want to ask before we wrap up, Caitlin, you know, what one piece of advice would you give to your younger self? Be unapologetically yourself. I really think that that's something it took me a very long time to learn is that we are unique because we're different and that's what makes us great. And so the most empowering thing that that I have ever done in my life is learn to appreciate what makes me different and not shy away from that. Um, That's enabled me to figure out what my true values are and be true to myself every day. 
And now everything that I do, I do because it feels right. And because I know that it's me. Um, and that's something it took me a long time to learn. And had I learned it earlier, I think I probably could have not struggled so much with that fear of not fitting in or wanting everybody to like me. You know, I think that's definitely been a huge contributing factor to me really struggling with social anxiety and my depression and my anorexia. I was always in competition with everybody else and wanting to fit in. And now I know who I am and what I care about. And that makes my life a lot nicer. Yeah. And such valuable advice, you know, be an original, not a copy, you know, it's the original, yeah. I think it's Oscar Wilde was saying, you know, be you because everyone else is taken. I think all of these mm -hmm. are so, so meaningful and powerful if you, you live by them and just learn to love life, knowing not everyone is going to like you and that is okay. I think, yeah. you know, there is just this whole perception of, well, if I'm myself, that person may not like me. Just be yourself. Um, and I think that's a really fitting way to to end a, such a meaningful and powerful conversation. And just to remind people, um, if people do want to follow you, get in touch, can you just briefly remind us of your website and your various handles? And we'll share them with this podcast episode for you as well. Of course. Thank you so much, Rob. So if you want to get in touch with me, one of the best ways to do that is via my website, which is law-lifebalance.co.uk. Um, you can also listen to my podcast, which is free to listen to on all the major podcast channels. Um, it's also embedded in my website, so you can check it out there. You can also follow me on Instagram at caitlin.mcphee. Um, and if you're interested, Law Life Balance also has a page on LinkedIn, although I imagine that most of my updates will probably stay on my website. So really, that's the central place to catch up on everything. Fabulous. Well, thanks an absolute million for coming on the show, Caitlin, and just sharing your story, being vulnerable, being authentic. It's really what's needed. And now you're providing the solution. So we wish Law Life Balance and everything you're doing lots of continued success. But from all of us on the Legally Speaking podcast for now, over and out. Thank you so much. This week's review comes from LH4785. Great podcast. The host, Rob, is very engaging and there's a great variety of interesting guests. Highly recommend. Thank you so, so much for your kind words and support. From all of us on the Legally Speaking podcast team, we really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Legally Speaking podcast. If you enjoyed the show and want to help support us, remember to leave us a rating and review on Apple iTunes. You can also support the show and gain exclusive benefits, bonus content and much more by signing up to our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com forward slash Legally Speaking podcast. Thanks for listening.